Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven talk radio that promotes happiness from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights trendsetters and change agents who offer sound emotional fitness tips for improving mental muscle tone and greater well-being. Guest experts include a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who are devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology coach, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in the fields of sustainable happiness, mindfulness, and positive lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, broadcasting consciously prepared brain food from the beaches of Malibu, California. Each week, we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is most definitely all about the heart. All righty then, let's get to it. Today we're talking about the heart of consciousness, where science and spirituality converge. And my first two guests are Dr. Evan Alexander and Karen Newell. Welcome to the show today. Today we are talking about consciousness, spiritual dimensions, theory, and experience. We can also translate that to the importance of spiritual health in our all-over well-being. How do we live that optimal life, and why is the spiritual component so important? And I have two guests in the studio today. They are the co-authors of Living in a Mindful Universe, a neurosurgeon's journey into the heart of consciousness. Dr. Eben Alexander was an academic neurosurgeon for over 25 years, including 15 years at the Brigham and Women's Hospital, Children's Hospital, and Harvard Medical School in Boston, with a passionate interest in physics and cosmology. He is the author of the New York Times number one bestseller, Proof of Heaven and the Map of Heaven. His third book, co-authored with Karen Newell, Living in a Mindful Universe, is here, and she's also in the studio. Karen Newell has spent a lifetime seeking wisdom through esoteric teachings and firsthand experience exploring realms of consciousness. She empowers others by demonstrating how to connect to inner guidance, achieve inspiration, improve wellness, and develop intuition. She is co-founder of Sacred Acoustics, and as I mentioned, co-author of the book with Dr. Evan Alexander, Living in a Mindful Universe. Welcome, you two. Thanks for joining me. Well, thanks for having us, Lisa. Great to be here. Yes, thank you. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure on many levels. First, let's talk about the importance of spiritual health. I mean, we hear about this in the news, but I think people tend to think of a more traditional religious model when speaking in this realm. And I believe that your book and your study goes much deeper. Well, it's really about uh, the modern understanding of consciousness and the relationship of brain and mind. Um, I spent the first 54 years of my life 
honing a, a worldview that basically uh, just believed that the physical brain creates consciousness out of physical matter. Uh, and my near-death experience back in 2008 showed me in no uncertain terms that that was completely false. It turns out that the modern neuroscientific world and philosophy of mind is all headed along this pathway of realizing that really mind and consciousness creates all of physical reality. Uh, and this is absolutely crucial to understand in realizing the power that we each have as human beings in uh, determining the course of our lives. And that begins most specifically with our health, with healing, with wholeness. Uh, and that's um, why this revolution is so important to everyone, because of the power it gives us to uh, manifest the free will of our higher soul. Back up for one moment. You mentioned a near-death experience in 2008. I know a little bit about that, but our listeners might not. Well, it was a very striking experience because I had a severe bacterial meningoencephalitis. That's the most perfect model for human death. You really couldn't have picked a better disease to give me a near-death experience because uh, as a card-toting reductive materialist uh, neuroscientist, I believed that the brain creates consciousness. And the neocortex, of course, is crucial. That's the main calculator in our human brains. And therefore, neuroscience believes that all of the details of conscious awareness arise from the neocortex. And yet my doctors had perfect evidence over seven days of coma that my neocortex was far too devastated by the illness to have manifested any kind of robust uh, ultra-real consciousness, which is exactly what I experienced. So it was a perfect refutation of that false notion of brain-creating consciousness. And that's what really opened the door. It was a deep spiritual journey, uh, and I go into great detail in Proof of Heaven about the many layers of that journey. But essentially, modern neuroscience would tell you it was impossible. That's why I'm often asked to speak to medical groups and nursing groups about this, because they realize how extraordinary this journey is. And my full recovery, more than 100% recovery, completely defies any kind of Western medical explanation. Wow. Karen, talk a little bit about the consciousness angle in terms of what a person who might say, well, I'm not into God, I'm not into religion. What are we talking about here? Well, I was one of those people. I am not into God. I am not into religion. Despite being raised as a Methodist, I realized that no really deep questions that I had, why are we here? What is our purpose? We're really able to be answered by religious teachings. And so I dived into uh, all kinds of alternative realms of spirituality. And what we're talking about is really just understanding that we are much more than our physical bodies. There's a part of us that is made of energy that is not touchable or kind of uh, visible to the physical world, but we can get in touch with it by exploring within, by kind of removing our awareness of the physical body and becoming more aware of that greater part of ourselves. And there's all kinds of ways to do this. We recommend that everyone really develop some sort of practice of going within. It doesn't really matter if you have a particular religion, if you don't have a religion, but learning how to meditate or you know, even just sit quietly and, and look at the clouds, anything like that. We're so used to just going and going and doing and doing. And what we really advocate is a state of being. Yeah. And in this state of being, there are no problems because the present moment is usually okay. 
Exactly. And really being able to rise above all of those problems and find kind of a neutral space. In meditation, many meditation practices, they talk about getting in touch with that inner observer. And that inner observer is the part of you that notices your thoughts. And all of us can practice getting to know that inner observer. And that's the neutral part of us, the part of us that doesn't have emotional reactions. But that neutral part of us can observe emotional reactions from kind of a a greater state of awareness and realize maybe the purpose of why we're having these kinds of reactions. It it really is a practice that can benefit us all in many, many ways. When we talk about this state of observation, what the word that comes to mind is, or words is to bear witness. And when I notice for myself, and maybe you agree or not, that when I'm in that state of neutral observation and witnessing what is going on, A, I'm fully present. So all my other concerns are kind of not in my head, but I'm in a state of wonder, you know, that I'm in awe, I'm curious, I'm asking questions about what it is that I'm seeing. Oh, well, that's interesting. What's that about? I want to learn more. And maybe this is a part of the consciousness that you're speaking of? I would say very much so. And it's important to point out that, uh, You know, that little voice in our head, the voice of the ego, the voice of uh, rational, logical thinking, what we usually pursue towards answers, gets in the way. So we're really talking about uh, developing a higher perspective. That Mm -hmm. observer self that Karen mentioned uh, is the deep mystery of consciousness. Uh, Whether you're talking about what's called the hard problem of consciousness, which is the impossibility of trying to follow Uh, the workings of the physical brain to explain all of conscious experience, or even something as exotic as the measurement paradox in quantum physics, which is really important in this. And that has to do with the fact that that observer awareness is what we're trying to develop a better relationship with. Because, in fact, as we explained in Living in a Mindful Universe, that awareness is connected with the universe and connected with that higher awareness of all other beings. So we're talking about a very profound sense of connectedness that rises above the petty little concerns of the ego and our little daily thoughts and and, and worries and anxieties and fears. So that kind of thing is uh, something that people can develop in deep meditation. And what we find is that it turns out whether you believe in a God or a particular religious dogma, you end up touching that oneness. And that can be called God or not. And that's where our religious dogma has really come to separate all of us in so many ways and realizing that it doesn't have to have a label, that all of us have a divine kind of right, privilege, sort of imperative to become aware of that greater God force that we all are a part of, every single person on this planet. Let's talk a little bit about the quantum entanglement, because that's what I'm hearing, that everything is interconnected, that we are all connected on some level. And when we are in that thinking mind or in that ego space, we fail to see that we are all sort of woven together in some way. But when we drop down into that heart space, Karen, that you were talking about prior to going on the air, then we are in that being space, that consciousness. Yes, getting into the heart space, one way that is really useful to think of it is that there is no linguistic center in the heart. There are no words and language that can be formed in the heart. It is definitely a being state. And interestingly, the work of HeartMath in California 
shows us that the heart actually sends more information to the brain than the brain sends to the heart, which tells me that the heart is really more in control of us, not really control, but more important to us than our brain on many levels. I was just going to add, you would mention the issue of quantum physics, and it really is important. This is something we go into in the book, trying not to get too dry and overly scientific about it. But the important lesson for each and every individual human being is that what is emerging from modern studies of consciousness and quantum physics is that each and every one of us really is deeply and directly connected with the entire universe and therefore with each other, and therefore with that infinitely powerful divine healing force of love that so many near-death experiencers have reported uh, in their experiences, as have others who've had spiritually transformative experiences. But this is all about developing that relationship of oneness with the universe. I've got so many questions, and we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to continue the conversation with Evan Alexander and Karen Newell. We're talking about their new book, Living in a Mindful Universe, A Neurosurgeon's Journey into the Heart of Consciousness. You can connect with both of them at evanalexander.com and sacredacoustics.com. On Facebook's Evan Alexander, MD, and Sacred Acoustics. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. And that is an absolute promise. Don't think about it. Wait, wait, wait. Before we take that break, I want to talk with you about money and happiness. I'm one of those folks who was deeply affected by the recession of 2008 and I've been spending the past few years slowly recovering. One of the best products I've found to help me achieve this is Lightstream, a division of SunTrust Bank. Lightstream offers credit card consolidation loans from 5.89% APR with AutoPay, which is significantly lower than the average credit card interest rate of more than 18% APR. This really helped me lower my monthly payments and clean up debt. Here are some nifty things that I love about Lightstream.com. It rewards people with good credit with a lower interest rate and no fees. The online application process is easy, and you can get a loan between $5,000 and $100,000, and the funds can even be available as soon as the same day. And here's the happy part. Listeners of my show will get a special discount on top of Lightstream's already low rates. The only way to get this discount is to visit lightstream.com slash harvesting. Once again, that's L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash harvesting. And here's the legal mumbo jumbo. All loans are subject to credit approval. Rates include a 0.50% auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash harvesting for more information. Now here comes the break. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if? Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on? Working too much? Not working enough? Having too many responsibilities? Not having enough money, enough time, enough space? The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. 
and sometimes we all need support. Are We Happy Yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are talking about living in a mindful universe, a neurosurgeon's journey into the heart of consciousness. This is the newest book by Dr. Evan Alexander and his co-author, Karen Newell. We're really talking about the spiritual health. And Evan and Karen, let's talk a little bit about the importance of spiritual health in the healing and living process, because this is controversial. Well, I would say one would start with uh, the placebo effect. Placebo effect has been well recognized in medicine for more than six decades now. In fact, it seems to be increasing in strength. Decades ago, I was taught that placebo effect accounted for probably 30% of the benefit that happened uh, in a patient, believing that they were either taking a pill or had a procedure done that would make them better. And the astonishing thing is how often that works. Placebo effect itself is a direct refutation of materialist science because materialist science has absolutely no way to really explain the full bore effects of placebo effect. And this is an important starting point for people. And it has to do with the power of our beliefs. And uh, our beliefs, by and large in our society, are overly limiting. Uh, they constrict uh, beyond reality uh, our, our notions of what we are capable of doing. The most extreme cases of placebo effect, I would say, occur in a near-death experience, like in mine or Anita Morjani's, Mary C. Neal's, where you have a situation where modern Western medicine has absolutely zero explanation for the kind of recovery we see, and yet that's exactly what happens. But you don't have to have an NDE to take advantage of this. Every one of us as a sentient being has the power through our beliefs to bring incredible health to ourselves so that all physical, mental, and emotional health is fundamentally spiritual. And when I say that, I'm using the word spiritual to mean a sense of connection with others, connection with an infinite healing force in the universe, as well as a sense of purpose and meaning in our lives. So when we talk about spiritual life and when people get hung up on the word belief. You ask somebody, what are their spiritual beliefs? And maybe that is part of the problem, because what you're suggesting is belief being in the brain, a mind-based construct, that we're asking people to feel more, which is scary. Well, I think when you talk about health in particular, a lot of us in our Western society actually believe that we need to take a pill, that it's physiological, that it's some neuron or some hormone that needs to be adjusted. This is what we've all learned in the last several decades that is our problem. So people who even have emotional issues, they turn to antidepressants and uh, different forms of uh, medication. Now, I'm not saying that these forms of medication are not useful in some settings, but I believe that we've over-medicated in that 
balance in that particular realm. And by really focusing on our emotions, the other thing we've been taught in our society is to ignore our emotions. Emotions are not, you know, very valuable. They just get in our way. And by really paying attention to those emotions, why are we being triggered a certain way? What is the source of that? That's when we can really start to dig in and really learn what is the root of our problems. And it's not just mental health, our beliefs, our emotions. I mean, Louise Hay, Caroline Meese, a lot of uh, energy health teachers have really revealed that emotions, different emotions are at the root of many of our physical problems. And by thinking if we can just treat our physical body that we can heal ourselves, it's really not enough. We need to dive a lot deeper and those emotions are a beautiful place to start. And many of us actually suppress our emotions. And when we first start paying attention to the heart, it can sometimes trigger those stored emotions and not feel so good. As you say, we want to just keep stuffing them and putting them aside. But really, there's no way out but through. We need to learn how to feel our emotions, process them properly, figure out why they happened, and then move on to reach our you know, higher states of learning of why we're actually here. Well, the feeling of emotions is a scary concept for many people. As humans, we are pleasure-seeking missiles, right? The desire is for as much positive emotion and experience as possible and to negate all discomfort and unpleasantry. But you cannot have one without the other. So if you're numbing those things that you don't want to feel, right, with substances or lifestyle, because some of our lifestyles are quite numbing, then you never get to really experience the full gamut of the, the human condition. Exactly. As it happens, if we all look back on our lives when we've had particular hardships, and usually that does involve some of those negative emotions, those hardships are usually the source of our most important spiritual lessons. And yet when we're actually experiencing them, it's very challenging. And that's where, though, developing the neutral inner observer can really play such a helpful role. And when you start to practice how to do that, when you do get into one of those emotionally reactive states, that observer can kind of kick in and you can have kind of a bi-awareness of what's going on and realize why you may need to be having that emotion. And once you kind of release all that emotion, then the pleasure comes. It's kind of a backwards sort of uh, way of doing it. And there's really no way to understand this fully until you actually experience it firsthand. You know, it makes me think of sort of the Buddhist philosophy that I'm probably going to paraphrase in a terrible way. But, to, you know, to be alive is to have pain. It's the suffering that is optional. Well, I would say from my coma experience, it was very clear that the hardships and difficulties in life, and as a physician, that certainly includes illness and injury, that they are gifts. It's how we respond to those challenges that allows our soul to grow. And we are all here in this uh, material world of what Karen and I call soul school to learn and teach together. We're all in this together. And people who may seem difficult for me, uh, like some who before my coma I might have seen as my nemesis or my enemy. After my coma, I came to realize we're near and dear soul mates, that we were trying to teach each other especially challenging lessons. And, and really, the darkness of that valley of whatever you face in your life, 
will be matched by the brilliant light and love walking on the ridge above if we're willing to learn the lessons that we came here to learn. And they come through the hardships and difficulties. Eben also often says that, you know, if we were all sipping champagne on our yachts, we wouldn't necessarily be learning any important lessons. It wouldn't really bring us to higher levels of understanding. So in theory, we can all really welcome these hardships as beautiful opportunities. It's just a whole other worldview that can kind of flip the way we are used to looking at things. It reminds me of a story. I have a, a close friend and a colleague who is a very young man. He's in his mid-30s. He was diagnosed with heart failure. And from day one of the, believing he had pneumonia to six weeks later when he had uh, an LVAD implanted in his heart, we thought we were going to lose him. And it was fascinating because the doctors, uh, he was in an amazing hospital with an amazing transplant team. And I have to say there's a happy ending because he's, he's doing well. But the doctors told him, we have done everything that we can do for you. It's now between you and God. And my friend was kind of astounded by the comment. And then when he thought about it and sort of lived with it for a little bit, he was like, yeah, it's between me and God and I'm not done yet. Well, that's very true. And Karen and I go around uh, giving our meditation play shops to uh, tens of thousands of people around the world. And we are gifted from this audience of people with beautiful stories. And I mean stories of uh, incredible loss, uh, say the death of a spouse or a suicide and a child, something like that. And yet people have come to see the gift that comes in such hardships uh, and their ability to grow through it and become much stronger. And I think that's something that our culture uh, in many ways is kind of suppressed and lost. And yet it's a beautiful gift of this kind of awakening that's coming to humanity today is to take responsibility for our choices and realize that they provide the engines for growth of our soul. Well, you know, it's like you cannot buy the gifts of adversity. It's not something you can lay down your credit card for. You know, it, it's hard won. You know, when well, we exactly. Busy. And you mentioned uh, earlier your interest in uh, addiction and all. Well, there's a phrase in addiction and alcoholism work, the gift of desperation. And yeah. it is absolutely true. And, and I'm sure there are many of your listeners out there who know exactly what I'm talking about. That desperation is a tremendous gift. The only tragedy in our culture is because of ways that we often kind of mismanage that. Sometimes addiction and alcoholism lead to death. Uh, you know, the bottom is too low to sustain life. And that's where living in a mindful universe uh, tries to give people the kind of gifts that they need, uh, the, the framework of beliefs, to understand how they have the power to use that kind of dark energy of addiction and alcoholism and other problems in our lives, to use that to grow and to gain tremendous healing uh, through gaining that love and light. I think it was Father Thomas More wrote about the dark nights of the soul in the, the constructive uses of these experiences. And I think that that kisses us into consciousness if we're aware enough. Uh, very much the case. And this is something we cover often in our meditation play shops and encourage people to use these kind of tools to go within, to develop that relationship with that higher soul. We have run out of time, which means only two things. One, I have to invite you to come back. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> oh, 
I'll give you I'll give you contact information, you meaning our listeners out there, to learn more about living in a mindful universe, a neurosurgeon's journey into the heart of consciousness, and the work of its co-authors, Dr. Eben Alexander and Karen Newell. Please visit their websites, ebenalexander.com, sacredacoustics.com. To connect on Twitter with both of them, you can do so at Life Beyond D and at Sacred Acoustics. On Facebook, those two pages are Eben Alexander MD and Sacred Acoustics. Once again, thanks to my guests, Eben Alexander and Karen Newell. Here come the tunes. We'll be right back. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Unwrap your present by signing up for Happiness Headlines, our monthly e-zine at harvestinghappiness.com. Stay tuned for more after the break. One thing I know for certain... Happiness waits for no one, and sometimes we all need support. We all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstance. Sure, things will inevitably happen in our lives that are out of our control. There is only ever one thing that is totally within our control, ourselves. When we have command of ourselves, we are better prepared to handle life and bounce back more quickly when challenges arise. Whether you see the glass as half empty or half full, the glass has the capacity to hold more. You have the capacity to be happier. The tool to harvesting your happiness is within your grasp. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we're continuing our conversation about the heart of consciousness, where science and spirituality converge. My next guest, who I am really excited to introduce, is Dr. Jacob Israel Lieberman, and he is the author of Luminous Life, How the Science of Light Unlocks the Art of Living. Dr. Lieberman is a pioneer in the fields of light, vision, and consciousness, and the author of numerous books, including Luminous Life, How the Science of Light Unlocks the Art of Living, as we're talking about. Originally trained as an optometrist and vision scientist, his life changed in 1976 after the miraculous healing of his eyesight, leading him to a deeper understanding of light and the science of life. The developer of the first FDA-cleared medical device for vision improvement, his years of clinical research and direct experience have led him to a new philosophy of life that can be implemented by anyone at home, resulting in a profound transformation that is rapid, significant, and permanent. And I am proud as can be to have him here with me today. Welcome, Jacob. Thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you so much. It's a great pleasure to be with you today. Oh, it, well, this is a subject that I find very interesting because there is a difference between vision and eyesight. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that. Sure. Eyesight is a mechanical process where light interacts with the eyes and we're able to see something. But vision, when someone says, I see, which is really speaking about their vision, it doesn't just mean I can read the eye chart. It means that there's a level of knowing, a sense of knowing that is engaged. And in that knowing, 
there is a guidance of what the next step of our life is. So vision really has to do with how our system responds as it dances with light throughout the day to bring us to a new level of knowing about life. And when we talk about light, it makes me think about many of us who sit in dark offices for extended periods of time in front of computers for many hours at a time. And what does the lack of light or the lack of perhaps quality light do for our health? Well, the first thing that you need to recognize is that we live in a part of the universe called the solar system. The reason it's named the solar system is that that means that we are of or derived from light. So everything within the solar system is actually light that has been alchemized into matter. So we, in and of ourselves, are actually made of the energy called light. So when you ask, how does light affect us, let me answer that by saying that every physiological function, every aspect of our humanity is light dependent. Every cell of our body, trillions of cells, all of them have eyes that are designed to detect and respond to light. And so throughout the day, the light that is impinging the eyes, the light that is impinging the skin is literally cueing and guiding every cell of our body so that each of those cells can orchestrate their function in order for them to function in a harmonious manner with Mother Nature. In other words, the purpose of light is to continually update the software of our humanity, assisting us in becoming one with life itself. But let me go back to what I was asking before about the absence of natural light, I think is really what I was talking about. I mean, there's a decline in our mental well-being as well as our eyesight by being deprived of full light in our day. Is that true? or? Yes, that's absolutely true. The reason I just said that every physiological function is light dependent and that our physiology is continually guided by light, light is a nutrient. Yeah. When you eliminate that light, every aspect of our being declines. So if you're in darkness, you not only get depressed emotionally, because your body's clock doesn't know whether it's day or night or where you are, but every physiological function gets depressed. So your energy level is less. Your body doesn't know when to release insulin or when not or when to sleep or when to wake. And so this is why in ancient times, violent prisoners were put in dungeons and still today, they put them in what they call the hole and in cells where there is hardly any light or they get out for very few hours during the day. So light is nature's optimal fuel for life. We are designed to run on light just the way we have cars that, that run on light and the buildings that run on light. So the body runs on the exact same thing. We respond to light just like every other animal and every other plant. Talk a little bit about 
your own experience with your eyesight and hence vision because something happened to you that really uh, was a turning point in your life. Yeah, I had, uh, like most people, I had worn glasses from the time I entered college. And around the time of 1976, after I'd been in practice for a few years, you know, I started noticing something quite fantastic, which is that everyone that goes to the eye doctor ends up getting stronger glasses. It's rare if ever you go to the eye doctor and they actually give you a weaker pair of glasses. Well, if a problem continues to get worse, you really have to ask whether the solution is actually the solution. So when I saw this epidemic of eyesight deterioration and I realized that's what had happened to me, I was wearing my eighth or ninth pair of glasses and without them could just see the big E on the eye chart, I decided to experiment to see is there a way of improving my natural eyesight, reducing my dependency on glasses or possibly even wearing a weaker prescription. And so I did many, many different things and all of them seemed to help to some degree. But then I had this profound eye-opening experience one day in 1976. I was sitting in meditating, which is what I had done since 71. And somewhere in the process, all of a sudden, I became aware of myself meditating. I don't know how to describe it. People might call that an out-of-body experience. But even though my eyes were closed, I could see myself within this room that I was sitting in meditating. And everything was totally clear, not just clear optically, even though my eyes were closed, but there was an absence of questions. There was an absence of mind chatter. Everything just was clear. And when I opened my eyes after this meditative experience, profoundly, my eyesight was totally clear. I didn't know what to make of it. So I got in my car. I drove to my office without my glasses on which I needed to drive at that time. And I went to the office, I checked myself on numerous eye charts I'd never seen, and lo and behold, I was seeing 300% better. So I decided to examine my own eyes, which I had never done, to see what had happened to the prescription. And when I finished and came out from behind the device that we use for visual exams, I thought for sure that my prescription will have reduced. But what actually occurred is that the prescription was exactly the same. In other words, my eyesight had improved 300%, but my eyes had not changed at all. And that's wow. the first time I realized that we don't see with the eyes, that there's something else within us that is absolutely appreciating this life and everything that we experience. If that had happened for five minutes or an hour, you would have said, oh, that's miraculous. But that change has now remained for 42 years. I'm 70 and a half. I've never had a pair of glasses on my face for distance or for reading since that particular day in 1976. And my eyesight is still excellent. And so it allowed me to recognize a couple things. One, we don't understand very much about anything. <laughs> yeah. Two, we don't see with our eyes. And three, the concept of having to work on things and making things happen 
must be erroneous because this profound miracle occurred instantaneously on its own without any effort or doing or intention or anything else. And what I've learned since then is that there is no part of our physiology that is designed to initiate action. Our bodies and our lives are designed to function without effort. That is an incredible story. And I'm most impressed by you talking about 30 years later that this is 40 plus years later still the case, that you're not wearing glasses. Most of us at a certain age start wearing glasses for reading. So I'm very curious about the exercises that you do talk about in the book, Luminous Life, How the Science of Light Unlocks the Art of Living. We're going to need to take a break. And when we come back, I want to carry on the conversation. Then I want to go a little bit deeper into the relationship between the scientific and spiritual aspects of light, because I think this is the secret sauce, isn't it? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's take that break. Um, To learn more about Dr. Jacob Lieberman, please go to his website, www.jacoblieberman.org. On Twitter, he can be found at Dr. Jacob Lieberman, and on Facebook, Dr. Jacob Lieberman. Here comes the break. We'll be right back, and that is a promise. Who says money can't buy happiness? Check out Lisa's new book, Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life and other fun, fashionable, and inspiring items at shophappy at harvestinghappiness.com. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if? Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on? Working too much? Not working enough? Having too many responsibilities? Not having enough money, enough time, enough space? The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. Are We Happy Yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life, and at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast. Why? Because sharing is caring. It's kind, free, legal, available 24-7. And we're talking about the heart of consciousness where science and spirituality converge today. And my guest is Dr. Jacob Israel Lieberman. He's also the author of Luminous Life. How the Science of Light Unlocks the Art of Living. And he was telling us an incredible story about his vision, the repair of his vision, and I would say the repair of his sight as well. So, Jacob, prior to the break, you had told the story of many decades ago, your eyesight becoming normal. And I would love to know if the book, Luminous Light, talks about exercises that help us develop eyesight and vision. I think the most important thing that I shared in the last segment, which I want to repeat, 
is that all this occurs without effort. And this is the most important thing that I want to share because our whole focus these days is how to make things happen. And what we don't realize is everything is already happening without us. Even what we think are our choices are actually occurring way before we're even aware of them. So having said that, it's not so much about doing something. It's about seeing something because awareness is what's curative. When we see something in a new way, it begins to change instantaneously. So in the book, I give some very practical little, you could call them exercises. I call them awareness expanding meditations because they're only done for a minute or less. And the purpose of these things is just to notice something because the noticing is what wakes us up. One of the things I discovered many years ago is that when we effort and specifically when we think, we constrict the breathing cycle. Now, most of us think we're breathing on our own, but we're not. Something is actually animating that breathing process. So if you close your eyes, you'll notice the body is continually expanding and contracting. So by taking a moment to just do that, you begin to not only notice this natural rhythm, but you also notice every time it stops. And in noticing those two, you begin to see what causes the breathing to stop. And it's primarily effort or trying or thought, which is uh, another word for worrying. So when we get into that worry state and we're trying to make things happen, when we constrict the breath, everything begins to collapse. So one of the main little exercises I suggest is a one-minute meditation, which is explained in the book, that you do throughout the day at different intervals when it enters your awareness as a quick reminder of home base. The other is a little technique with a string and some beads, which anyone can do at home, which allows you to see where your eyes are looking when you're looking at something. Let me see if I can explain. When someone looks at something, they assume that they're looking right at it. But when I began to investigate this phenomenon in 1974, I discovered very quickly that most people, when they think they're looking at a point, are actually looking a little closer to themselves or a little further away. In other words, their mind's eye is focused on one spot while their physical eyes are looking at another place. Mm. Another way of saying that is when that congruence and coherence is not here, what we call presence is impossible. It's not possible for us to, quote, be here now when part of us is here and part of us is there. So this string technique allows a person to actually see in real time where their eyes are looking. And because of that, the moment they become aware of that phenomenon, the eyes themselves begin to make a corrective move toward alignment so that the mind's eye, the physical eye, and the eye of awareness are all looking at the same point at the same time. And that sort of presence, once again, is effortless. So that's the second thing. 
The third hang, thing. Hang, hang yes. on one second, Jacob. Sure. I just want to jump in here because I think I have a, a another example that may work as a visual for some people. Sure. Uh, for any of any of you that do yoga. Um, out there. I'm a big yoga practitioner. Um, when you're holding a pose on one leg, for example, or t- attempting to do so maybe with one arm, the teacher will often talk about the drishti, the focal point, that when you pay attention to this one focal point, and preferably it's something um, slightly in front of you that's quite small that can then really sort of grip that that zone of focus, the position then becomes easier to hold. Right. Right. The reason that is, is that our eyes, when we look at something, that becomes our stabilizer. Yes. So when we look at a vertical line, for instance, it's much easier to balance on one foot and then eventually to balance on one foot with your eyes closed. So, yes, that's a a lovely example uh, of what I'm talking about. The string technique really allows you to see that not just as a theoretical idea but to actually see it with your own eyes. And once you see it with your own eyes, it takes hold in a way that it's never taken hold before. So it's a very profound, very quick example of seeing something that can be quite life-changing. Another aspect uh, that I speak about is the fact that most of the ailments that we encounter as humans has to do with something we call stress. And when I speak about stress, I talk about it as something that results from having an allergic reaction to some part of life. So, for instance, if I said, oh, I'm allergic to poison oak, everyone knows what that is, or I have environmental allergies, or I'm allergic to seafood, everyone knows that type of allergy. But the most common allergies have nothing to do with poison oak or environmental toxins or foods that we eat. The most common allergies are when we run into our ex-husband or ex-wife or ex-employer or <laughs> someone someone we have unresolved issues with and all of a sudden our breathing is held and our heart starts to race and we feel tight and we don't know what to do and the mind says, what do I have to do to change the subject to become more comfortable? Those particular triggers really create a cascade of events that cause our system to shut down. And so for me, when we become comfortable with the aspects of life that used to be uncomfortable, our life, our health, our wellness on all levels change. And I have found a profound relationship between how a person responds to colors and how they respond to these triggering life experiences. So I take uh, in the book, I take people through a color visualization that allows them to see how their response to color actually relates to these triggering mechanisms in their life. And that's the way I work with private clients or make available kits that they can use at home to help them desensitize from these triggers. These are all the things in life that take us away from what's happening now that are the major stress uh, inducers in our life and that shut down our ability to see. So taken as a whole, these little techniques are reminders of things we have forgotten. And in the process of seeing them in a new light, 
there's a remembering, a re-coming together, a reintegration, and all of life can change from that. I hear and see what you're saying. (laughs) I think it's brilliant and quite beautiful. And I love the fact that you have presented this in a way through the book as very user-friendly. You know, you're not you. asking people to go on some process that is belabored. They're they're quite simple, the interventions and pleasant to do. Yeah, it's something that I felt moved to share because it's something that has become my life. I don't prepare anything in my life. Everything is live from this interview or when I'm asked to speak. There is no preparation. It's literally happens by itself. And I cannot tell you how freeing it feels to live without a net. And that's what this book is about, to remind us of our natural way of being and seeing. What do you mean when you speak about the intelligence of life? Because this is another aspect that is covered in the book Luminous Life. Well, if you are a religious person and you look at the Bible, it says right in the beginning that the intelligence of life is something called God. And then it says God is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent, all-powerful, all-knowing, and everywhere at the same time. And then it goes on to say God is light. If you speak to a physicist and you say, what is the nature of reality? Where does everything come from? They say, oh, everything is just energy. If you then say, well, what do you mean energy? What is this primal energy? They'll let you know that this primal energy from where life emerges is the energy we call light. Spiritual texts for thousands of years speak of consciousness as light. So whether you're looking at this from a spiritual, religious, or scientific perspective, the intelligence of life is an energy an animating force that we call light. And that light is literally guiding every step of our life in the same way as it guides every aspect of a plant's life. We can see this easily when we look at plants. What the average person doesn't realize is the exact same process is occurring in humans. I'm not talking about metaphysics now. I'm talking about hard science Every cell in our body is continually being guided by the light that impinges our skin and impinges our eyes. And most of the light that enters our eyes has nothing to do with eyesight, has only to do with cueing every cell of our body, letting us know what time of the day it is, what time of the year it is, where are we? Are we in New York or Hawaii? So that our body knows how to respond in each moment. Dr. Jacob Israel Lieberman, thank you for joining me today. The book we've been talking about is Luminous Life, How the Science of Light Unlocks the Art of Living. To learn more, please visit www.jacoblieberman.org, on Twitter at Dr. Jacob Lieberman, and on Facebook, that handle is also Dr. Jacob Lieberman. Jacob, thank you so much for hanging out with me today. It's been a fabulous pleasure. Thank you so much. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. We have flown through another hour of purpose-driven media designed to inspire and delight you, our listeners, to create more joy in your lives and within your communities. Here are a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. 
It simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my amazing guests today, Dr. Eben Alexander and Karen Newell, as well as Dr. Jacob Lieberman, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Go out and rock your day. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new episode of Consciously Curated Talk Radio from the Heart. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on Toginet, iTunes, and SoundCloud. In a complicated world seemingly driven by nonstop negative news, Lisa's mission is to celebrate the upside of life and seek the silver lining of our challenges by transforming them into uplifting growth opportunities for all. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with Toginet Radio, KBUU, RadioMalibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.